Let's turn to Genesis chapter 15. In just a few minutes, we'll be coming to our time of communion. But in Genesis, we're continuing a message from last Sunday in this series we're calling Simply Amazing. We are this fall focusing on the all-sufficient grace of God. And we are beginning with some examples of people who experienced and expressed the grace of God. It's one thing to define the grace of God theologically, but it's another one to see it in someone's life. And that's the reason that God has given us these testimonies of many of these great men and women because they are examples of God's all-sufficient grace. And so we're going to look again at the life of Abraham and continue that message from last week because you did not listen quickly enough last week, all right? <clears throat> so we didn't get done. So let's see if we can do that as we come to our time of communion. This week I was captured by an article about this man his name or the name he took for himself for a long time was uh, Benjamin Kyle. You need to know that on August 31st, 2004, he was found uh, next to a dumpster outside of a Burger King in Richmond Hill, Georgia, naked beaten and injured, and with no memory of his name, how he got there, anything having to do with recent or distant events, suffering from severe amnesia. He recovered physically, but for 11 years, the authorities tried every way, public and private search, to try to establish this man's identity. Now, he had just a few memories from childhood, and as they pieced those together, they could tell that they were from the late 50s, early to mid-60s, and some of them were associated with some things in the state of Indiana. And then he had a few memories that were clearly associated with some things in the state of Colorado. But other than that, nothing. Well, in 2015, through advances that have been made in DNA testing, a DNA genealogist by the name of C.C. Moore through extended testing, was able to finally identify this man not as, of course, Benjamin Kyle, that he had been going by for 11 years, but that he was William Burgess Powell, who was born on the 29th of August, 1948, and who had grown up in Indiana, he had left home from uh, Indiana in 1976 as a young man, made his way to Colorado. They, he had had some 
jobs between 1976 and 1983, but from 1983 until he was found at that dumpster, by that dumpster in 2004, no record of him anywhere. He was reunited with his family. Can you imagine that experience? The, the joy of it and the difficulties of it. And uh, resumed life and now is retired in, in Florida. But now just imagine that. Imagine all those years. All those years. Wandering around and not really knowing your identity. I thought about that. And you know, it came to me, as tragic as that is, but thank God for a good outcome in some ways, that there are some people who know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, but you know what? They suffer from terrible spiritual amnesia. They don't really know who they are. And they spend their life as a result just wandering around. God has bigger things than that in mind for us. The Lord does not want us to wander. He wants us to follow. He wants us to follow. And he gives us the grace to follow him. He wants us to know who we are in our spiritual DNA so that we can know that our calling is to follow him. And to me, there's no greater example than that of this man, Abraham. And Abraham is an example for us. It's not just so we can know some great things about Abraham, but Abraham is the pattern for us to be a follower of the Lord. Now, I want us to look at Genesis chapter 15, if you would, and let's read verses 1 through 6 and remind ourselves of some things about Abraham. <clears throat> and then quickly, just let me make some applications I think can prepare our hearts for communion this morning. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 15, verse 1, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. And Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. But Abram said, and Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he, that is God, brought him outside and said, Now look toward the heaven and number the stars. If you are able to number them, then he said, So shall your offspring be. And here is the response from the heart of this man Abraham. He believed the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now here we see that Abraham is an example of salvation by grace. We mentioned that last week. Abraham was not righteous because he was a righteous man. 
He was not a righteous man. He was a pagan man. He was worshiping false gods in the area of Babylon. But God in his grace made himself known to Abraham and entered into a relationship with him. And Abraham, by God's grace, came to know the Lord in a personal way. We would say personal salvation today. That was all of grace. And God made a covenant with him. God made promises to him. And he made four covenant promises to Abraham that we noticed last week. He made a promise of prominence. He said, you will be great, Abraham. And he truly is one of the greatest of all the ages. He made him the promise of a people. He said, I will give you a son. And from your son Isaac shall come descendants like the sands of the seashore and like the stars in the heaven. And God did that. And untold millions of descendants have come down from Abraham, as we know, as the Jewish people. And he made to him a promise of property. God said to Abraham, I give you this land where I have brought you. All the way from the river of Egypt, that is that dividing river between the Sinai Peninsula and down into Egypt. I divide from there all the way to the river Euphrates. I give this to you and your descendants forever. And then he made to him, for us, I think, the greatest of all promises. He said, I make to you the promise of peace that through you, Abraham... All the nations of the world will be blessed. How was that going to be fulfilled? There would come from Isaac and down through the lineage of Jacob and then through Judah and through Jesse and through David down to Mary and the adopted father of Jesus, Joseph, the one who would be born the Prince of Peace, the Messiah. And through Messiah, Jesus, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Not just the descendants of Abraham physically, but everyone who shares his faith in Jesus will be blessed. And that's the promises God made to Abraham and friends, he has kept every one of those till this day, and he always will. Abraham is an example of salvation by grace, and he's an example of salvation through faith alone. Look at verse 6. This is one of the crucial verses of the Bible. I had you mention it, Mark, it last week. If you weren't here, Mark, Genesis 15, 6 in your Bible. It is the great Doctrine of being justified, being declared righteous by faith alone. And he, Abraham, believed the Lord, and the Lord counted his faith to him as righteousness. He declared Abraham not guilty on the basis of his faith. Now, what's going on here? Remember, Abraham's looking at God. <laughs> He believes God. Whatever God says and promises, he believes. But God's not looking at Abraham to declare him righteous. Who is God looking at? He's looking at his son, Jesus Christ. 
He's looking at the one who will come and live the life that Abraham could not live perfectly. He's looking at the one who would die on the cross for Abraham's sins. He's looking at the one who would rise from the dead and looking to the one who would be the Lamb of God for Abraham. God counted Abraham's faith as righteousness. He credited the righteousness of Christ to Abraham's account. And friend, that is the only way anyone is ever saved. The only way anyone is ever saved is that they trust God's message of hope. And God's salvation is granted them on the basis of their faith. But the one who has earned their salvation from the first to the last of humanity, the one who has earned their salvation is Jesus Christ. That's how you're saved. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And my friend, I want you to know that this morning, before we receive communion, make sure you have received Christ. Because it is not communion that will make you right with God. It is not any kind of ordinance or sacrament. What makes you right with God and declared not guilty is your faith and hope and trust only in Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior. May your hope be there today. Well now, have you ever been on something and they say it's time for the speed round? (laughs) In a game or competition, it's the speed round, folks, okay? So I want to give you three insights and three applications, and I want to ask three questions for us to consider as we look at Abraham's life. Now, you might take your Bible. It's interesting. There's Genesis chapter 12. You go over a few pages to Genesis chapter 25, and everything in there is just about Abraham almost. He's involved in it. 100 years, 100 years are in those 13 chapters of the Bible. What do we find out? about God's grace to help us follow him. What do we find out through Abraham? Number one, we find out that following the Lord is a journey that begins with leaving. (laughs) You must leave in order to follow. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 and 4, Abraham departed his home and he followed the Lord. He had to leave in order to follow. And friends, let me remind you, how old was Abraham when he left home? He wasn't 18. He hadn't just finished junior college or college. He's 75 years old. 75 years old, God said, I'm calling you, you gotta go. And that 75 year old man said, you lead, I'll follow. How old was Moses? 80 years of age. Friends, I want to say to some here that have gray hair like me and some who have it, but you're coloring it, I want you to know... (laughs) God calls people of all ages. Retirement is not in His plan. You may change your occupation You may stop from your earthly occupation, 
But if you're a Christian, you will never retire from your vocation. You are called to follow Jesus Christ. And boy, isn't it exciting to be up in years and expecting him to call you to something new. What a great way to live. What's the lesson here then? You cannot go with the Lord and stay where you are. God will meet you where you are, but he's not going to meet you where you are and leave you there. God doesn't come to you and save your soul and say, I'll just sit here and wait on you till you die, and then I'll take you home. That's not quite the plan he has. It's more like this. Jesus in his grace comes to you, and he calls your name, and he says, follow me. Follow me. You can't stay where you are and follow the Lord. Now I want to ask you the question. What did Abraham lose by leaving? What did he lose? Do you think a hundred years later when he was 175 years old and he put his feet underneath that cover for the last time and leaned back on his pillow... Do you think for a moment he said, I wish I'd just stayed there in Babylon? <laughs> Are you kidding me? What did he lose? Nothing. He gained it all. Dear lady, a few years ago, member at Cedar Springs, incredible Christian woman, involved in missions. I was blessed to know her. You know what her last words were? On her deathbed, her family gathered around her. Here's what she said. It was just like her. Thank you, Jesus. It's been great. <laughs> wow. <clears throat> That's the way she lived. Thank you, Jesus. It's been great. Following the Lord is a journey that begins with leaving. Following the Lord is a journey of learning. Following the Lord is a journey of learning. That's the second thing I want you to understand. What is a disciple. We'll see this in the next few weeks. Disciple means learner. Did you know that? A disciple is a learner. We are on a journey of following the Lord. He is teaching and we are learning. And now, here comes the speed round. What did this man learn over these hundred years in these 13 chapters, well, we could never possibly cover it all. But now look at these things. Quickly, we need to learn. Abraham learned constancy in following God's direction. He had to be constant in following God's direction. Chapter 12, verse 10. He went into the land that God promised him. Then things got a little tough, and he's got a better idea. Let's go to Egypt. And God didn't lead him to Egypt. He went to Egypt on his own. He went to Egypt because they had better work down there. He went to Egypt because he got a letter inviting him to join a firm down there. He went to Egypt because he got laid off and thought, I've got to leave. He didn't go to Egypt because God said, I want, I'm leading you to Egypt. He didn't pray about it. He didn't talk to anybody, uh, Lord, about it. He just went. And what happened? A mess. God preserved him down there. But he learned constancy 
and following God's direction. You, you, you've got to let Him lead. He leads, we follow. That's the ministry description. Number two, he learned confidence in God's provision. In chapter 13, 9 through 13, he grew in his confidence that God would provide for him. And when God blessed him and Lot, he said, Lot, you take whatever, his nephew, you take whatever part of the land you want. I'll take whatever else. God will provide for me. He had confidence. He had confidence that God would provide. Number three, he learned conflict on behalf of God's people. In chapter 14, Lot and his family and all the people of Sodom and Gomorrah and the other cities, they're carried off captive by an enemy assault of nations led by King Chedorlaomer. And guess what? Abraham learned that he's got to stand with God for his people, and he went into battle for God's people. He learned that he was aligned with those people, and he would be in battle for them. And friends, as followers of the Lord, we're in spiritual conflict, and we've got to stand with each other. We've got to help each other and defend one another. He learned communion with all of God's worshipers. When he came back, having rescued Lot and those other people, he met a man by the name of Melchizedek. Guess what Lot, guess what Abraham found out? I'm not the only follower of God in this land. It's not all about me at all. Matter of fact, this man's a king of Salem, and he's a high priest. He's a high priest of the Most High God, and Abraham gives tithes to this man, Melchizedek. Now think, as great as Abraham is, he recognizes that the Lord has made Melchizedek a spiritual leader and he puts himself under the spiritual leadership of this man. That sounds a little bit about what happened in the first of this service. When followers of God recognize that the Lord wants them to understand spiritual servant leadership. We're not alone. We're not a crowd. We're a community, right? We're sharing a life. He learned that. He learned the covenant nature of his relationship with God. Chapters 15 and 17. He was joined with God in a covenant. And he became literally a marked man. God put a mark on his body. And said, you're mine. You're not going to be like everybody else. I'm going to separate you from everybody else. You're mine. He learned the covenant nature of his relationship with God. Number six, he learned that compromise with worldly counsel is disastrous. He and Sarah don't have a child. They don't have a child. They don't have a child. And finally, Sarah is so distraught. She comes up with an idea which is very popular in that day. If you can't have a child, have a child through someone else, your servant. And so she does that. But here's the problem. God said, no, it's going to be through you, Sarah. Abraham compromised, even though it was his wife that he dearly loved. Her counsel was not godly counsel. And he compromised with her counsel. What happened? Yes, 
a son was born, Ishmael. Yes, he became a mighty nation. Yes, God blessed Ishmael. But what happened? There was a disastrous division that entered into the family, and it has existed until this very day. Friends, who you get your counsel from is very important. And you may love them, but you need to make sure that what they're saying is what God is saying. Number seven, he remembered and recognized the calling on his life as an intercessor for others. In chapter 18 and 19, he finds out what it means to plead with God on behalf of his loved ones who are living in sin in, some, in Sodom. And he pleads and intercedes with God to spare them by his grace. And we're going to learn that if you're going to follow God, God is going to make you an intercessor. He's called you to be an intercessor. There are going to be people who go astray and they bring great difficulties and heartache upon their lives and maybe your life. But God's going to call you to intercede for them. Abraham learned that. He learned that cowardice, <laughs> cowardice is unbelief and produces compromise. Genesis chapter 20, he, he's down in the south of his land and there's a guy named Abimelech there. He's the bad dude in that part. And he starts measuring Abimelech, not by God, but measuring Abimelech by himself. And he's afraid that Abimelech's going to fall in love with his wife, Sarah. So he says, tell, tell him you're my sister. <laughs> and I would tell you, at this time, Sarah's about 85 or 87. She's some kind of woman. I want you to know that. I don't and what happened? Abraham, in his cowardice, acted in a way even the pagan people don't act. He was rooted in unbelief. He lost his testimony in that community out of his cowardice. Number nine, he learned the certainty of God's covenant promises. At last, the son was born. Sarah laughed at the idea that she would have a son. And what did God say? That's what you're going to call the boy. Isaac means laughter. Sarah laughed. And God said, you just named your son. <laughs> and they, then they did laugh. And it, hey, if you're 90 years old holding your baby and looking at your 100-year-old husband, you're going to laugh too. <laughs> Number 10, he learned that the consecration to God is its first love. Genesis 22. <clears throat> God said... Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and offer him as a burnt offering. That's the first time the word love is used in the Bible. Genesis 22. Take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and offer him as a burnt offering. What was the Lord doing? He knew what he was going to do. He's working out this wonderful, beautiful image of Calvary, but he's also showing Abraham, Abraham, I want you to love your son with all your heart, and I know you do but you got to love me more. And Abraham never forgot that. He had to learn consecration to God as his first love. Your first love is not your husband. Your first love is not your wife. 
Your first love's not your children, though you'd gladly give your life for them. Your first love is the one who gave his life for you. Consolation of God in his deepest grief, Sarah died. The love of his life died. And he grieved. And you know what he did? He bought the only piece of property he ever bought in the land. And he didn't even have to buy it because God had already given it to him. But as a testimony, he bought the piece of property. What did he buy? He bought a cave at the end of the field called Machpelah. And there he laid his beloved Sarah to rest. He had faith in the midst of grief. God's going to reveal consolation in our heart. And in our deepest grief, we will learn the deepest things about God. He learned the confirmation of God's covenant principles to the next generation. Genesis 24, he saw Isaac grow up. And he saw Isaac married to a godly lady. And his son was now going to carry on the principles of the faith. He saw a confirmation of the covenant principles. It doesn't end with him, but he has a legacy now. And then he saw and learned the comfort of God's loving presence in his last days. In Genesis chapter 25, he comes to the end of his life. And here he is now, a hundred years, he's been a pilgrim. He started when he was 75, now he's 175. And as he rests his head on his pillow and as death begins to dim his eyes, the final thing he sees is the beautiful face of his son. And he sees the promise. And he sees the stars. And the eternal promises of God. He died in peace. What is the lesson of Abraham's life? You know the only thing that's mentioned about him? An altar and a tent. Don't have time to show it to you. Wherever he went, he built an altar and he set up a tent. What does that say about Abraham? He lived in the constant presence of God. Wherever he went, he had an altar. And he always lived in a tent, not a house, because he knew he was a pilgrim. And that's how he lived his life. He lived his life in the constant presence of God, and he lived his life thinking of himself on a continual pilgrimage. And he was because following the Lord was the longing of his heart. And that's the last thing we learn from Abraham. The following of the Lord is a journey of longing, longing, joy incredible, incredible blessings. But friends, if you're following the Lord, if you're following the Lord, you always have a longing in your heart because guess what? What did the Lord say to Abraham? Abraham, I am your reward. Your reward is not your prominence. Your reward is not the people that are going to come from you. The reward is not all the blessings that are going to come from you. I am your reward. And Abraham was longing to be with God. And Hebrews says this. He was looking for a city that has foundations, 
whose builder and maker is God. He was longing not for a city itself. He was longing for the one in the city. He was longing to experience this, friends. Genesis, Revelation 21. And God himself will be with them and be their God. And they shall be his people. What was he longing for? He was longing for paradise. And what's paradise? Paradise is being with your creator. Perfect fellowship. Enjoying the relationship that you were intended to know forever and ever and ever. Friend, heaven wouldn't be heaven if Jesus isn't there. But he's there. And the lamb is all the glory in Emmanuel's land. Longing. See, the longer you follow him, the more you long for.